Well, good morning, Platte Park Church. So glad to be here with you. I've been looking forward to our time together and actually have been in prayer uh, for our time and for who God would bring. You know, it's always interesting, isn't it, how God moves in our lives and how we meet people and uh, at the right time in the right places, and he has a way to speak to us uh, individually. Uh, so this morning, I have been in prayer, and I would encourage you to think a little bit about what is God saying to you this morning? And, you know, in that deep inner place where we sometimes encounter the voice of God, I would just encourage you to pay attention to that this morning. Uh, God has a way of meeting us at the right time and the right place, and we are all here today. Um, I wanted to speak today about a topic that kind of ties some things together in the series that you've been in, uh, and the title of our talk is Strengthening Your Bond. You know, bonds at the heart level are the core of any relationship. If you think about that a little bit, that's true in your relationship with God as well, right? That, that bond you have with the Father and how you stay connected. Well, my background uh, as a pastor and also as a psychologist has given me some really cool opportunities. I've been able to work with uh, individuals and couples uh, at the inflection points of their lives. And this morning, I want to share a few things that they have taught me about relationships and some of the key things that help relationships and sometimes also get in the way of relationships. Now, this morning, when I talk about relationships, I'm talking about the full bandwidth. But I'm really talking about the close relationships or more intimate relationships in our lives. Marriage. Uh, those of you who are, are maybe dating or have a very close partner, these relationships could also be close friendships or sometimes even our family members and extended family members. So when we talk about relationships, I'm referring to all of those. You know, one of the, uh, the things that's interesting about relationships are how we practically in day-to-day -day ways uh, engage in them and what they bring out of us. And I, I have a strong belief that God has created the intimate relationships of our lives kind of like a crucible. They, they tend to surface our best and sometimes also our shadow sides and our growth areas. And I think God designed it that way, partly because relationships are experiential. They're not theoretical, right? You remember reading relationship books? or It's kind of like reading about parenting before you have kids. Right? Actually being in an intimate relationship or having a kiddo changes everything. So relationships have a way of surfacing um, the dynamics of our lives. Well, the first thing I want us to consider this morning uh, is a myth that sometimes we have about relationships that I want to articulate and then maybe reframe in a little bit. And I'd like to start with asking you this question, kind of a pop quiz. How many relationships have issues? Yeah, we all know that, don't we? So all relationships have issues. They have issues, uh, big, small, and in between. They have issues around how we're different, how we're alike. But relationships, especially the intimate ones, the ones you really get to know the other person and vice versa, surface our issues. We all know they have them. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a couple in my office say, you know, uh, are, are we... Are we really the only ones that are so messed up? You know, it's kind of funny, isn't it? That sometimes we kind of get insular in our relationships, and when we experience those, we kind of project onto everybody else that they've got it all worked out. 
well, I'm here to validate with you that every relationship has its challenges without exception. And what we see on the outside in other people's relationships, of course, is like us, it's different whenever you live in the closeness of intimacy with someone and behind the closed doors of our private life, that is where those issues tend to surface. Now, I know that all relationships have issues because of the privilege of working with so many couples over so many years, but I also know that all relationships have issues because I happen to have been married to my sweet wife, Bev, for 27 years. You know, being in a relationship, Bev and I have issues. We bump into each other. Sometimes, I know it's hard to believe, I can be annoying or I can get up on the wrong side of the bed or I can be grumpy or caught up in my own world. You see, we all can do that. So I want us to confront the myth in the beginning of our talk this morning. The myth goes something like this. If we are healthy enough, if we're spiritually mature enough, if we've read enough self-help books, that somehow we won't have issues in our relationships. That's a myth. So the first takeaway this morning would be this. All relationships experience relational wounds as a normal course of doing life together as mere mortals. Everyone here is a mere mortal, right? You know, there are only mere mortals to be in relationship with that have their strengths and shadows, good days, bad days, and consequently, without exception, we wound each other in the context, especially of close and intimate relationships. Now, sometimes those wounds are like paper cuts. You know, they build up the little small dings that day in and day out we may ding each other. Or sometimes they can be larger things. Now, as we turn our, our uh, attention into, okay, all relationships have uh, issues, they all have wounds, and that's normal, maybe even God-designed for us to learn something. And I believe what God's purpose is in intimate relationships is to teach us how to love at a different level. It's the pragmatics, the empirical of learning how to love someone that's not me. Have you noticed that with whoever your intimate partner is, that they are not you? No, I mean it. They're really not you. In big ways, small ways, in between ways. So, takeaway, we all have issues. Now, I want you to consider this question with me uh, a moment. What causes marriages or relationships, intimate relationships, to fail? Now, I, I bet immediately you have a pull-down menu with a bunch of items on it. You know, we all do. So, here are some of the common ones that we will usually put uh, in that pull-down menu. You know, problems with extended family. Anyone have family of origin issues in the room? So, yeah, of course, we bring all of those with us for better and for worse. Poor conflict skills. You know, most of us really don't have a great model of conflict resolution, but either from our family of origin or other close relationships we've been in. So we're kind of like teaching ourselves as, as we're trying to walk on the bridge. So poor conflict resolution, money problems, sex problems, trust issues, communication difficulties, and this uh, one that's one of my great favorites is trying to change the other person. You ever tried to change a partner in an intimate relationship? You know, we all know better than that, don't we? Don't we? Okay, good. I was just checking. But of course we know that, but we still try to do it. We try to change them somehow. We try to pull the dents out of their fenders, right, and buff them up a little bit. And of course, 
Who are we trying to change them into? Ourselves. And, you know, it's crazy how they don't cooperate with that, isn't it? So those are some common things that we would normally put on the list of what causes a relationship to go sideways or get into trouble. Today, I want to change our framework a little bit. I want to offer you a different way of seeing that based on some research. So I would like to shift our frame to this framework. Normally, we think about what causes difficulty in relationship as the problem or problems. We just had a list of those. Sex, communication, conflict resolution, trust, and we tend to focus there. And, you know, think about your relationship, whichever one you want to pull into view right now. Probably you've had discussions about some of those issues, big, smaller, in between, and we tend to burn a lot of emotional energy and airtime talking about those problems. Naturally, we do. Those are the things we see, the obvious things. What I would like to suggest is sometimes talking about those things is actually the wrong conversation, which begs the question, doesn't it? What's the right conversation? So what I would like you to think about is all of those problems that we could list that you probably have in your close relationships, you could list a couple of those, they actually uh, are maybe considered the wrong conversation. So that begs the question, what's the right conversation? And what I would like to suggest is sometimes we have to think about the thing under the thing, the conversation under the conversation that we keep having. Kind of intriguing, isn't it? To begin to think about maybe we need to shift the conversation to the thing under the thing. So what's the thing under the thing? Well, I want to share with you some research that kind of points a direction that way. This research is by a guy by the name of Ted Hudson, and he's done a lot of relational research along with many other people. And one of the things that he discovered was this, and I, I would agree with this, emotional responsiveness is the best five-year predictor of marital and relational health. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Marital responsiveness or relational responsiveness, best five-year predictor, not communication skills, not conflict resolution skills, not coming to terms with sex, et cetera, et cetera. It's something about something deeper, the thing under the thing. So what is emotional responsiveness? Emotional responsiveness is being able to hear the deeper cry of our partner's hearts, to hear the thing under what they're talking about, to hear what they're really trying to say at a deeper level and respond to that. Now, by the way, one of the ways that we do that is we begin to listen and see with our own hearts. We have to be in touch with this deeper part of us to hear that deeper cry and let it resonate with us because that resonance will pull us toward the person and pull them toward us. Emotional responsiveness. He would also say understanding emotional responsiveness and connection is essential to maintaining relational health. I would agree with that. Now draw on your own experience for a second. In whatever your closest relationship is, you know what it's like to have one of those times where you feel disconnected. Can you relate to that? You kind of get sideways about something. Both of you are a little bit miffed. You try to talk about it and get stuck. And then you walk away because it's not working. And then you feel the disconnection. And that disconnection 
has a vibe to it, doesn't it? it? It feels strange then to be in the car or, you know, to sit down and do I talk about it, do I not? It has a tone to it, that disconnection. And then think about the opposite. Think about whenever you've worked something through or feel like you've had a breakthrough and you guys have understood each other in a different way. That changes the emotional tone in a relationship, doesn't it? It's like the weight is off. The vibe is different. Your sense of humor comes back. Your playfulness comes back. That's emotional connection. So what, what Hudson is saying here is that emotional connection is the essential thing in marital health, in relational health, that close bond. Now, by the way, that's true in our relationship with God, isn't it? Have you had periods of your life where you were disconnected from God and felt a little bit more distant? You know what that vibe feels like? You're a little bit more disoriented or discombobulated. The tone of your life feels different versus those times when we have the spiritual experience and connect with God. You know what that's like, right? It feels like things get reoriented. Your framework is different, and it brings a different energy to the table. So, takeaway two, repairing relational raw spots is essential to connection and a vibrant relationship. Remember how we talked about living with mere mortals? That has implicit in that um, kind of relational wounding, doesn't it? In big ways, small ways, in between. If you live with me long enough, I will hurt you somehow. Sometimes even unintentionally, mostly. But, but what we're talking about is those relational wounds impact this responsiveness and connection. So we have to figure out how to repair them. Now, remember, we're not saying, let's get to the place where we don't wound each other. As mere mortals, we will wound each other at times. So the repair becomes one of those master skills. So what's a relational raw spot? I want to define that for you. It's a great definition. A, a, a relational raw spot is a tear in our emotional skin. It's tender to the touch, easily rubbed, and deeply painful. You know, raw spots are like a bad sunburn. You ever had one of those? Where you, you know, been to the beach or whatever, you get really sunburned, you come back, you put on your blouse or your shirt, and you try to go through your normal life. And sure as all things will happen, you meet someone you know, and what will they try to do? They'll try to hug you, right? And as you see those hands coming and they touch your shoulder or wherever the burn is, that's excruciating. You go, ow, I'm sunburned. After that happens once or twice, then we become proactive, right? You see someone coming near you and your hands go up to block them. Why? It hurts. Emotional tears are like that. They hurt. And just like the sunburn under our clothing, sometimes people can't see them. We look normal, but once those burns get touched, it produces pain. Raw spots are created by repeated relational wounding. Now, no, past or current that results in damage to a person's sense of security. So sometimes, living with mere mortals, we rub each other, and it can be like the accumulation of those paper cuts that create an area of sensitivity. Think about your relationships. You have certain things that you're sensitive to, that when they happen or are said, you feel the pain and react to. We all have those. That's a raw spot. Sometimes, it can be our, our past, past relationships, or even all the way back to our family of origin. 
I uh, grew up in an alcoholic home. My dad was a real high-functioning alcoholic, and uh, he used alcohol to cope for a variety of reasons. It's kind of crazy. I didn't even know I grew up in an alcoholic home until I was about two-thirds of the way through my Ph.D. program, and we were studying adult child of alcoholic, and I saw myself. You see, I, I began to understand that in my family system, we all managed around my dad's temper because we didn't want to upset him, so he would start drinking. Makes sense, doesn't it? What that looked like for me is I learned to fly under the radar. It was kind of like invisible. I had this cloaking device on me. So for me, one of my raw spots in my relationship, any close relationship, but particularly with Bev, is that being seen or heard or understood is a big deal to me. Now, it's not as big deal to Bev. She has her emotional raw spots in other areas, but to me, that always spikes me whenever I feel like I'm not being heard or seen, especially by someone close to me. That's a raw spot that I bring into the marriage. So I would like you to think a little bit, what are the raw spots that you have? They may arise in your relationship with your partner, or they may arise out of some distant thing, or they may arise out of some past relationships. If you've got a little bit of mileage on you, it's inevitable that you have some of those. That's what it's like to live in the world that we live in. Now, if we think about it, this hypersensitivity in a particular area, as hard as it is, it also becomes a little bit of an of a ally or a sign or a signal that cues us to something. So I want you to consider this for a moment. How do we know when a relational raw spot is triggered? Oftentimes when we get our raw spot triggered, it triggers something that sometimes is called an attachment alarm. What is an attachment alarm? It's when that terror gets poked that we go into an alert mode. Danger, danger, danger. It's like our threat radar turns on. And you probably experience that sometimes in a relationship where you get into that crazy discussion where you kind of feel the tone change, maybe your raw spot gets triggered, and all of a sudden you're hyper-reading the other person. Ever been there, done that? Your breathing just changed. What's wrong? That eyebrow went up a half a millimeter more. What are you thinking? So we start scanning each other like crazy, right? Looking for the danger or the threats. So when the attachment alarm activates, it's interesting, we now know that it creates all kinds of physiological responses in us. One of the things it does is it begins to pump adrenaline through our system. Can you relate to that? You begin to feel this surge of energy. Another thing that happens that we know is the electrical activity and blood flow in our brain goes from our higher cortex, our more mature brain, down into what some people call our lizard brain. That's that fight or flight response center. Boy, isn't that a great com uh, uh, combination? To have uh, lots of adrenaline and low mature brain functioning. And a lot of times that's exactly what happens in an attachment alarm. We feel that surge of threat and we're looking for the threat and getting ready to respond. Sometimes we respond by the fight response. Sometimes we respond by the flee response and withdrawing. Or sometimes we just freeze. And I bet you if you look at some of the interactions in your closest relationships, you can see those in you or someone else. That tells us we're in that attachment alarm place. Now remember, when that happens, it is about 
uh, how the event is perceived, not what the event actually is. Let that sink in a little bit. So if Bev and I are in a place and we get pinged up and our cycle starts a little bit and I have my attachment alarm going, you see, I will see uh, her through the lens of she's not taking me seriously, she hasn't heard me, she can't see me. Now, at that exact 10 seconds, that may or may not be true in real reality, but guess what? I can't see that. Remember, I'm in my lizard brain. So one of the things about this that's so crucial is that applying logic alone at a time like that does not work. Can we all say that together? So sometimes you will try to go over the facts again, right? Listen, I didn't say that. My comma was in this place in the sentence, not that. Or I used this tense, not that. Or that didn't, you know, we've all been there, right? And how well does that work? Like negative numbers? It begins to kind of fuel the attachment alarm. So counterintuitively, applying logic at those times when we or our partner is in an alarm state, it makes it worse. It's kind of like trying to put out a fire with lighter fluid. It does not work very well. Now remember, an attachment alarm, uh, you can tell it's going on by a sudden shift in the emotional tone and equilibrium in the relationship. Have you felt that before? You're with your partner, things are going well, all of a sudden you stumble into one of those wounds, raw spots, and the tone changes in the relationship. You can feel the vibe of that. So a few minutes ago, we were playful and laughing, and then we bump one of these places, and all of a sudden, everybody loses their sense of humor, right? Everybody begins to be sort of like prosecuting and defense attorneys. It draws that out of us. And it's like, what just happened? That's what an attachment alarm is like. Well, I have a film clip, it's a pretty intense one, of this couple who stumbles into an attachment alarm. And I want to show it to you. And you will see it. And I want you to look at two things. What's the point in the relationship, and there's a couple of them, where the tone dramatically ratchets up to a next level? You can see the attachment alarm. So I want you to look for that. Second thing I want you to look for is I want you to look for the thing under the thing. So they're talking about those problems, several of them, that are kind of common problems that all of us stumble into at times. But, but they're really trying to talk about the thing under the thing, and they never quite get it out. So I want you to be curious about that. Watch it with me. What are you doing? So you left me no pizza. Caleb, I just lit that candle. I like the way it smells. Well, I don't. Did you leave me any dinner at all? I assumed you were eating with Michael. Does it not occur to you that there are two people living in this house and both of them need to eat? You know what, Caleb? If you would communicate with me, maybe I could have something for you. Why do you have to make everything so difficult? Oh, I'm making everything difficult? Seems to me like I'm the one carrying the weight around here while you're off doing your own thing. Excuse me? I'm the one out there working to pay this mortgage and I pay for both of the cars. Yeah, and that's all you do. I pay all of our bills with my salary. Which you agreed to do. That's fair. Do you not like this house? Do you not like your car? Oh, Caleb, who takes care of this house? Yeah. Me. Who washes all the clothes? Me. Who gets all the groceries? Me. Not to mention I'm helping my parents every weekend. You know, I've got all this pressure on me, and the only thing you ever do for anybody is for yourself. Let me tell you something. You don't know the first thing about pressure. All right? You think I, I put out house fires for myself? Or, or rushed to car wrecks at 2 a.m. for myself? Or pull a child's body out of a lake for myself? 
You have no idea what I go through. Oh, yeah, but what do you do around here other than watch TV and waste time on the internet? Because you care more about saving for your stupid boat and pleasing yourself than you ever did about me. Shut up! I'm sick of you! You disrespectful, ungrateful, selfish woman! How dare you say that to me? You constantly nag me and you drain the life out of me. I'm tired of it. If you can't give me the respect I deserve, look at me, then what's the point of this marriage? It's powerful, isn't it? And it all started with pizza. Just like that conversation, you know, when you get in your car, getting ready to go on a date, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Okay, I'll choose. Let's go do Italian. And the next response is, I don't want to do Italian. Of course it is. But those things trigger us. They be, do you see it? Do you see them ratchet up? That there were these places where they were talking about pizza and how many chores, who does? No, I know neither no one in your relationships ever does that. Are you about who has the most responsibility around? Yeah, we all stumble into those. But you see it ratchet up. Those are attachment alarms. Did any of them look like they were in their lizard brain? Fight or flight? Of course. That's it, what we look like. Maybe sometimes not with the most overt intensity, sometimes with that. But that's what an attachment alarm looks like. So they were talking a lot about pizza, chores, job responsibilities, all of that, but they were actually trying to talk about something under that, the thing under the thing. But they couldn't verbalize it, and they couldn't hear it in each other. So what were some of the things under the thing? Common raw spots have to do with these issues. Will you leave me? You heard a little bit of that. You don't value me or appreciate me. Did you hear that in their dialogue? even though they didn't actually say that? You don't care that I'm hurting. I can't reach you. You don't respect me. You take me for granted. I need to know I'm important to you. You're not attracted to me. You won't be faithful to me. Can I access you? Will you be responsive and come towards me? Will you not engage me? This couple was having many of those conversations without even knowing they were having them. They were the deeper cry of their heart. Please appreciate me. Please see me. Please come toward me. Those are the conversations that are the thing under the thing. And most of our arguments and conflicts are really about that. So I'd like you to think for a moment. What are your relational raw spots? You know, if you look back historically over some of the times you've gotten stuck with a partner or a friend or even a family member, and you get that alarm response, that actually is your ally. It will tell you about where some of those raw spots are. And then begin to think about what's the thing under the thing of the raw spot. So there's a passage out of Ephesians 4 that kind of guides us. It's a powerful passage. It reads, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You know, the first part of this text is worth taking a look at, this notion of kindness. You know, it, it, the word in the original language has to do with allowing your goodness to manifest towards someone else. 
It's allowing the best part of you to be exposed. You know, when we go into our lizard brain, that is not the best part of who you are. In fact, it pulls that part of you offline. So this idea of, of tenderness or kindness is about manifesting your kindness. And I would say it's actually about getting in touch with the Imago Dei in us, the image of God, the deepest part of our heart that can express love and care and can start to hear under the thing, to hear the thing under the thing. The second word here or phrase is this notion of tender-heartedness. Uh, it, the word in the original has the idea of displaying strength but infused with compassion. Isn't that a great image? Strength with compassion. So this isn't about rolling over. It's about stepping toward. It is a strength word, but it's about with compassion and with empathy. Powerful. And then he says, Paul says here, and we have to forgive just as we are forgiven. The word here, charizomai, is actually a grace word. It's a word about God's relationship with us and how he loves us. And what this verse is essentially saying is get in touch with your true image and become a grace giver to those in your sphere of influence and those who you are most intimate with. And the emphasis here is on gifting and bestowing versus earning or deserving. Let that sink in. You know, grace is a powerful term in the scriptures. It, it really is one of those meta themes that run all the way through it. And a lot of times we think about grace as unmerited favor. We'll hear that definition. I, I actually think grace is actually biblically contra-merited favor. We, we sometimes, in our bad behavior, deserve a bonk on the head, and instead of getting that, we get love. It's actually the opposite of what we deserve. So, so at this moment, with whoever's in our close relationships, they may not deserve kindness, but we become a grace giver in their life, bestowing kindness and love. But you notice how Paul builds a certain taxonomy here? It has to be rooted in a shift in our hearts. Our hearts have to soften versus harden. Do you know the difference inside when your heart is hardened up and defended? It has a vibe to it, doesn't it? It's a feeling in your body versus when you soften and your ears turn back on and you begin to hear the deeper cry of your partner's heart. That's what Paul is talking about here. So takeaway three, relational healing can only be done with a soft heart from a place of connection. It's counterintuitive. I know it is. It's counterintuitive to soften whenever your partner is in their lizard brain. Uh, but, but oftentimes if we do that, it begins to have a calming, grounding effect on them. So a couple of tools, just pragmatically, on how to do that. I, I like to think about it as like a four-step process. When we're in an alarm state, the first step is we have to step back from the cycle. Did you notice this, notice this couple? They were pulling each other further into this escalating thing. It works that way, doesn't it? Your response triggers a counter response and so on, and then we're in it. So somehow one of us has to step back, disengage the cycle. But that's not enough, just stepping back. We also have to step down. 
Sometimes that means to step down physiologically, to kind of do some grounding or regulating exercises like breathing or walking around the block or hosing yourself down with cold water or whatever you do to regulate. Because as we regulate, we move from our lizard brain back into our mature brain where we can process in a different way. Sometimes it also means stepping away a little bit to shift our perspective. Instead of seeing our partner through all of the negative narratives that run through our head, we can begin to step back and try to see through their eyes with empathy. And then lastly, we have to step back toward to begin to initiate connection from the point of hearing the cry of our partner's heart. So that step process can be helpful. Now, in addition, I would like you, if you can, find that little worksheet that's in your handout. You should have picked one up somewhere. It's called the Raw Spot Worksheet. This would be a practical way to apply some of what we're talking about. So if you think about a stuck place or a raw spot in your life with your partner, if you look at the first category, it says, what was the incident where a raw spot was triggered? Kind of a brief note about that. And then going one level deeper, on the surface, what did I probably show in that moment? It's like this couple, did they show that they were afraid? Did they show, really, that they needed support and assurance from the other person? No. On the surface, they looked like they were ready to fight and do battle. A lot of times, what we look like on the surface in a triggered event is very different from what's underneath. Deeper down, I felt, and what I longed for. That's the deeper thing. That's the thing under the thing. So I would like you to consider maybe thinking about a raw spot you have that you might want to talk to a partner about, but fill out this worksheet a little bit and try to talk about the thing under the thing. Now, also, it's really interesting sometimes to take a worksheet like this and use it to understand your partner. So the last time we got stuck over Italian versus Mexican and wound up in this really polarized thing, I'm beginning to say, okay, that was on the surface. What was underneath that? What's the thing under the well, I want to uh, pause this now for a moment of prayer. Would you bow with me? God, our Father, thank you for your pursuit of us in so many ways. Father, uh, of all the people that we know, all of our experiences, you see the deeper thing in us. Even when we're kind of really ornery and hard to love and annoying on the surface, you see the deeper thing in us. And, and oh, God, in the example of your son, you, you move toward the cry of our heart to not be alone to need help, to be found. And so, Father, we pray, based on that, that you would help us. Help us to first identify our own raw spots and try to consider, huh, what is the thing under the thing and what's the thing I long for in that? And give us the courage to soften our hearts and move toward our partner. Likewise, Lord, give us insight into what's the deeper thing in our partner, the thing under the thing. And help us to have some insight, Lord, into what, what is it that they long for at the deepest level? And Father, I pray that you would tune our hearts with responsiveness toward the people we love. And we trust you for this in your son's name. Amen.